Mind Me, a rare disease and medical challenges podcast. The mission of our podcast is to support you, our listeners, and to create community as you confront the toughest challenges in life. All of us will experience health hardships. The real question is, how do we adapt? That's the focus of It Happened to Me. We help you overcome limitations and live a full and satisfying life. Drawing on their own health challenges, hosts Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman interview guests who share stories and research to help you succeed in the face of difficult health obstacles. It happened to me. I'm not alone. And neither are you. Joining us today is Jennifer Bergand. Jennifer, originally from Wisconsin, moved to Atlanta, Georgia after college and was an elementary school teacher and assistant principal until the Big Apple called her name, and she's now a successful channel sales manager in NYC. Jennifer has been a fitness enthusiast since she was a young child. She was in gymnastics and dance from the age of five. And as she got older, she enjoyed working out at the gym, salsa dancing, spin classes, snowboarding, hiking, wakeboarding, and I forgot to mention her love of high heels. After she moved to New York City in 2011 and began tripping on her toes and her ankle would suddenly give out during a spin class or while wearing high heels, she was eventually diagnosed with multifocal motor neuropathy, or MMN. Jennifer is going to share her experience with MMN. MMN is a rare disorder characterized by slowly progressive muscle weakness. Welcome, Jennifer, and thank you for being a guest on It Happened to Me, I'm not alone, and neither are you. Jennifer, let's start at the beginning. What is multifocal motor neuropathy, or MMN? Uh, first, I want to say thank you for allowing me to be part of this podcast. Um, it truly means a lot to me, and I know it's going to mean a lot to other people that are struggling with MMN um, and just other things in their life. Um, but MMN, multifocal motor neuropathy, is a ultra rare autoimmune disease, um, and it does slowly atrophy um, your muscles and your ability to do certain things like walking or using your hands. Oh, got it. Wow. Well, can you share with us your personal experience with MMN? How did your diagnostic journey start and what happened to you? Sure, I'd love to share my story. Um, it really took a long time to finally get to um, what was the root cause of all of this or my, my diagnosis, actually. Um, I started, as you mentioned in the story, um, or as you mentioned in my introduction, I would have my ankle give out and I would catch my toe tripping. And um, I actually initially also had electric shocks um, from my hip to my knee. But every time something happened, I always put it as something to do with me being athletic. I was snowboarding and I fell on my uh, rear end a few times. So I thought, 
okay, I'm getting this shock from falling too many times. Um, I was in a spin class and my ankle gave out and in my head it was because the shoe was a half size too big and when I stood up it just gave out. So I always had a logical reason. I never thought there was something quote unquote wrong with me and I definitely never thought it was an autoimmune disease. Um, when things started happening it actually started with the tripping um, and then I would get painful cramps in my right calf and that was the same foot that would catch when I was walking and then my toes would just shoot out painfully and I couldn't get them to stop cramping um, I went to a pain management doctor um, who was actually treating me at the time for my lower back and I just mentioned you know what was going on and he told me I was dehydrated and that I needed to eat a pickle a banana um, and just kind of said, you're too athletic. You know, you've, you've got to keep hydrated. And I kept telling him, this is not from athleticism. There's something going on. Um, and that continued to happen, the cramping. And there wasn't any true rhyme or reason. I couldn't say, okay, every time I did this, it would cramp. Right. Every time I did this, this would happen. Um, I would be in a yoga class. And I went there to try and loosen up the muscles. Cause I thought again, it was from being athletic and I would just put my legs out to stretch and that calf would cramp up on me. So again, there was no real rhyme or reason how this started. Um, I eventually in 2017 um, was with my best friend up in Wisconsin. And I noticed that my toes felt like cotton balls and you know, I told her, I'm like, God, my, my feet feel really funny. So I took off my shoe and my toes were, they wouldn't move. And I said, oh my gosh, my toes don't move. And we thought nothing of it. Um, I went to a chiropractor the next day because I thought, okay, my lower back has hurt from a car accident in my twenties. It has to be a pinched nerve, no big deal. So I went to the chiropractor, he did some adjustments. And then when I went back home to New York city, um, I saw a podiatrist. The podiatrist actually put me in a soft cast because she said, well, you have a sprained ankle. She did an MRI and she said, you have a sprained ankle. And I said, but my toes don't move. That doesn't make sense to me. But I listened to her and um, finally I said, again, this isn't logical. So I went to another podiatrist. And that podiatrist was the one that said, you need to go to a neurologist. <clears throat> and so I finally went to a, a neurologist and the neurologist took a video of me walking um, because I was kind of rolling my foot and I didn't realize that when I was walking until I saw the video. Um, and she sent me to get numerous MRIs of my back probably my neck. Um, she did a very lengthy EMG, which is where they take needles and they put it into your muscles and your nerves to see how they're working. Um, very painful and lasted about two hours. Um, and so I came back and her answer to me was, I don't feel comfortable diagnosing you 
because mm -hmm. what I think is going on, I've only read about in textbooks. Mm. I need you to see another neurologist. Mm. And so this was a good, I mean, this is actually a couple of years after my, my symptoms started. And that took at least eight months to go see now who's my primary neurologist. Um, I went to him and he had the EMG and he, um, you know, told me he was going to have to do another couple tests, which I didn't like because it's needles and, you know, scary. Um, and that's when he came back with, you have multifocal motor neuropathy. And you, it's scary to hear. You, yeah. You know, Jennifer, I'm listening to this and I would say that your story is reminiscent of everyone who is diagnosed with a rare disease. I'm trying to keep track of how many doctors you saw. I frankly lost track. How many tests you went through, I've lost track. How long it took you to get this diagnosis. And this diagnostic journey, I think for all our listeners, is something that each of us goes through when we have a disease that's unusual. And the good yes. news is you got to the right person. It sounds Absolutely. like you're now in good hands. And I congratulate you on that and not giving up, sticking to your guns, knowing yourself, knowing your body. And I congratulate you for hanging in there and finding out the cause and not doubting yourself, that you're not crazy. You're not imagining this. This is actually happening to you. So I think this is an yes. important lesson for everyone listening. You know, sometimes as women, we feel, well, it must be me, it must be nerves. Um, and, and it's put off as something uh, hysteria, some sort of female hysteria. And we have to trust ourselves and our, knowing ourselves to pursue the truth. Couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. Now, I have a question for you. I know you mentioned when you were speaking that at first you did not know it was an autoimmune condition, but how did you learn that it was? Um, so I, I learned about it just the day of my diagnosis. And this was back in 2018. And um, my neurologist told me, you have multifocal motor neuropathy. Um, but the first thing he said is, I can't tell you what you're going to be like a year from now. I can't tell mm. you what you're going to be like five years from now. You might be mm. in a wheelchair. Oh, and my. Then, yes. Oh. And then everything just started going in my head. Yes. Um, Conduction block, G1, GM1 antibodies, that went out of my head. And then he said to me, you're not going to be able to read anything about this on the internet. Oh. Oh. So pretty much don't even try. So, of course, I tried. Um, <laughs> but the first thing that came up was ALS. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yes. There, there literally was not anything about multifocal motor neuropathy. And... So I immediately went to, oh my gosh, I have ALS. Yes. I didn't even, it didn't even say that there's a, you know, MMN and it's an autoimmune disease. It wasn't until I went back upstairs to my neurologist's office and said, 
wait a minute, you know, do I have ALS? And I'm showing them the phone. And he says, you have multifocal motor neuropathy. You do not have ALS. This is not fatal. This is an autoimmune disease. You're going to probably need treatment for the rest of your life. And that's when I realized, okay, it's autoimmune. There's a treatment. There's not a cure. We don't know what that treatment is actually going to do for you, which was also very scary when they're yeah. telling you, you know, it, it's good luck. And again, you have to be your own advocate. Like I was just to get the diagnosis. Yes. I had to keep fighting to figure out um, what is going to happen to me. And are there other people out there that have this? Because I suddenly was very alone with an ultra rare autoimmune disease. It, it's, I bought a ticket to a lottery. I didn't want to win. <laughs> you know, that's what happened right. to me. Yes, yes. So Jennifer, you've talked about some of the symptoms that it affected your feet, uh, your toes, your ankle, cramping in your legs. What else was affected? Is one side of your body stronger or weaker than the other side? Did it affect your hands? What other, other things, symptoms did you notice? So um, that's a great question because we are all different um, with MMN. Um, for me, it started in my right foot um, with my toes and worked its way up. Um, I'm about five years in uh, and now, um, it started in my left foot, working its way up and um, a little bit into my right hand. So your questions of, is one side weaker? Absolutely, it's the right side and I'm right hand dominant. Um, so that's been a, a, you know, a difficult thing to kind of get over to learn how to do things differently so that I can still be as independent as possible. Um, Explain what you mean by that. So learning to be independent. So what does that, how does that translate into your daily life? So my life is walking differently. How about you, you said it's in both feet. Does it hurt you to walk? So there's no pain associated with no pain. Okay. Uh, no. So this is motor Good. nerves, not sensory okay. nerves. Okay. But the pain will happen in your lower back because you'll start limping. And what happens when your muscles atrophy is other muscles start taking over for mm -hmm. that. I so see. you are going to be most likely in a little bit of pain because your body is chunk, 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 chunk when you're walking down the street. Um, I now use a walker. Um, I was using a cane, um, but also in New York City, um, People are hustling and bustling next to you. Yes. So the, the cane wasn't always Helps. that great, um, but people didn't quite see Push me. you the same way. Yeah. yeah. So now I use a walker to help me um, because it also stabilizes my back. Instead of using a cane to walk, you're pushing only on your right side. Because Can you I swim? Am now, Can you do um, anything athletic that used to bring you such joy? No, no. Um, I haven't figured out what brings me joy yet. Um, okay. I will say being in the water, um, 
I run, I salsa dance. Um, so that is my happy place because oh, everything quote unquote works in the swimming pool. I can get up on my toes. I can run in place. Um, so there's many times that I'll just put my headphones on and blast bachata music and just dance and, you know, feel normal again. Um, I have a new normal. Um, I'm slower, much slower than I used to be. Um, so walking is difficult. Um, stress is, I have to tell you, it's not good for me or anyone with, well, stress is not good for anyone. Just cut to the chase on that one. But yes. um, I notice that if I get stressed out, I'll have flare-ups. So my, uh, my huh. muscles will, will twitch, which is called fasciculations. Um, and then I just have to go, okay, nothing is that important to be stressed over. Your health is more important. And then when I relax, the fasciculations go away. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. So meditating, um, is that meditating? Does that? So meditation is key for me. Oh, um, great. Yes, absolutely. Um, it gets me back into a calm relaxed place and um just you know better for your energy as well wow. just so that we understand the full um impact of this um are you are your symptoms do you think typical of most people with mmn um that it affects it sounds like the extremities and makes one side weaker than the other is that um what the majority of people um with with this very rare disease experience? So sadly, there's no such thing as typical. I um, see, okay. Yeah, so I actually um, started a Facebook support group for people with MMN. Oh, good for you. Beautiful, uh -huh. I love that. That's Thank great. you. So it's MMN Multifocal Motor Neuropathy Warriors. And uh -huh. what I like I've the done, name. thank you. <laughs> Um, cause we are, we're warriors. We have to get through this. Um, but I didn't want to feel alone and I knew there had to be other people out there. Yes. So I created this forum for people to ask these exact type of questions. Um, what is typical? What isn't typical? And, uh -huh. you know, it's also helping people with the journey of, do I have ALS or do I have MMN? Right. Yeah. Um, and I have people all around the world, um, in this group and I, and I try and find them. So I, I look for people chatting on MMN and social media, and then I ask them to come join this group so they do not feel alone. And so, so wonderful. Now, was there you. anything there for you or you created this because of a void? Um, there wasn't anything really there for me. And um, so I created this because I needed this forum. Support. And, yeah, and because no matter how much your loved ones love you and want to do things for you, they don't get it because they're not living inside your body and mm -hmm. they see you doing things, but they don't know how to assist. And they'll say, oh, this is easy. And you're like, nothing is easy. Right. Um, <laughs> but you, you can talk to the people in your forum. And, and they get you, it. They get you. And if you're having a bad day, they get why you're having a bad day. And then we say, like for me, I allow myself to have a pity party. I invite myself to my party. I have, you know, ice cream, mint chocolate chip ice cream or whatever it is. 
And then I have to kick myself out of the party because if I don't kick myself out of a party, a pity party, you're going to really feel bad about yourself, about things that you maybe can no longer do. Um, and that's not a good place to be because this is an emotional mental health thing as well, because your body is changing. You have to get used to your new normal. You have to love yourself again. Um, because if you only think about your old life and what you can no longer do, you're going to be in a really deep, dark place. So Jennifer, Kathy and I have been extremely interested in shining a light on rare diseases and medical challenges. We are also equally interested in hearing how people who have been diagnosed with rare diseases, how they cope. And Jennifer, you are talking about your advocacy. And it seems to me that that has helped you a lot to cope with what you're facing. And I wondered if you could talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you started out in the beginning talking about people brushing you off and especially as a woman and, you know, kind of it's all in your head. And, um, you know, I started getting brushed off in the beginning yes. and um, because I was athletic and I, I tell everyone, you know, your body best, exactly you right. know, when things are not going right in your body. You need to find someone that's going to listen to you, not someone that's going to listen to your um, quote unquote, what's wrong with you, and then just push you out the door with a pill or something. They need to find someone that's going to listen to them, sit down and figure out what is really going on behind the scenes. Why are you tripping on your toe? Why are you really getting these spasms in your leg? It wasn't a pickle that I needed. Mm -hmm. I also I needed people to listen to me. And so in my forum of, you know, my support group, I push, continue to find a doctor that's going to listen to you. Because some people will say, well, you know, my neurologist really doesn't think IVIG is going to help because he doesn't know much about this. Go find another one. Go, go find someone that's going to listen to you. Because again, until you're comfortable with the answers you get, keep going, keep fighting. Absolutely. But it's and so, so this advocacy has helped you cope with the issues by helping other people. By helping other people, this has really helped you um, feel better about yourself. Is that correct? So um, I did the why me for a long time in uh -huh. the beginning. I cried. Why me? Why me? Right. And then I sat down and figured out why me? It was to help other people. That's exactly right. That's, and that's yes. what you're doing. And that's exactly what you're doing. And that has made you a champion. Really Absolutely. someone that we greatly admire. We need people like you <laughs> to help all of us to be, to set an example. And I salute you for what you're doing. Absolutely. But the toughest thing I wanted to add to what you were saying, that's so important about the way you're really mo uh, moving people in your support group, is that with a rare disease, and particularly a very um, an unheard of 
rare disease. It's very hard to find the right doctor who's open-minded enough to look outside the box. And so don't not stopping is so important that if you know your body well enough to know that some of these more traditional approaches aren't really identifying what what you need that you just keep looking and keep asking questions and um I, you know it's hard to know as you were saying how much do you do online versus how much do you do you know with asking questions of a doctor but sometimes with rare diseases um you end up online and it's a very human reaction trying to get some answers to something you'd never heard of with a surprise diagnosis. And I think it's um, so important to push people to keep finding the right doctor, but also to realize that sometimes answers are outside the box. And oh, I'm, I'm very much an outside the box thinker. Um, because one thing is, it's an autoimmune disease. And my immediate self went to, okay, it wasn't that I cut my finger on something and now I have an infection, that I did something and here's the answer. I started researching and I am determined to find the answer of why this started happening in my body. Yeah, so I'm not just going to take the answer of you have MMN, an auto, a rare autoimmune disease. I want to be the one that helps figure out what is going on, what broke down in my body. Um, and, and maybe they can start narrowing things down because of my determination. And I get to help, again, other people that, you know, might be going down my same journey. The difficult thing is no two people are alike. But I can tell you this, in my group, everyone can remember a time where their body was so stressed out. And when your body gets stressed out, it breaks down your immune system. And you can truly break down your body from stressors. Um, my, my father passed away suddenly. That was a huge stressor in my life. After that, things kind of started happening. Um, I had a rocky road right at the same time with a job at that time. All of that pushed into your body at once and you're holding it in is not good for your body and things happen to you. Um, so also in my forum, I want people to be able to speak freely and talk about those stressors because we can't keep them in our body. As I said before, when I get stressed out, I can literally see the muscles under my body start to shake because my mm. nerves are misfiring. Wow. You know, and therapy might be mm. another good uh, outlet. So that's a great um, suggestion there. One thing I've, I've told people, and I wish my neurologist did this, and I, I talk about this on other MMM platforms of when you're diagnosed with something that is life-changing, they should have a, I'm going to call it a welcome packet, but included in there is for mental health. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Nobody ever said, you know what, I, I highly recommend you talk to someone because you're going to have to learn how to do things differently. And you get in 
dark places because one day a shoe would fit, the next day it wouldn't fit. And I could no longer do the things I loved. I don't wakeboard, I don't snowboard, I don't go to spin class. That's very depressing. Um, I know someone that was a rock climber and it started in his hands. These are things that you love and it's ripped away from you. And that is something where I think the first thing you need to do is the mental health. Almost maybe even more important than the actual treatment itself, because you need to get your mind in a good place to tackle this. To tackle what is about to happen to you. Yeah. You just got a diagnosis that changed your life. Absolutely. Jennifer, you, you mentioned you treatment. Love yourself. Yes. You mentioned a treatment. I, I think mm-hmm. IBF, is that what you you mentioned I, some I IG IV IG. IG. Can you tell us what that is? Yep. So IVIG is intravenous um, and it's actually plasma donations. So oh, I see. Uh-huh. So that people donate blood, they don't donate plasma. This is actually donations from tens of thousands of people um, with their plasma that helps fight autoimmune diseases. Um, my treatment is now weekly. It started out every month. Um, and then we kind of change it as I've grown through the years. It sometimes doesn't work as well as it when it first starts. Um, so now I just do a weekly treatment trying to see if I can slow the process more. This is in a doctor's office, I'm assuming, or in actually, a hospital setting. Actually, I'm lucky enough that I have a nurse come to my house and do it. I see. Oh, that's okay. Have uh-huh. you felt a difference? Um, so it started, uh, it worked immediately. And then after a few months, it stopped working. And that's where I started digging into, okay, why did it work? And, and why, why did it stop? Yep. And that's when I went into the journey with functional medicine, um, eventually removing the breast implants, because there is an underlying cause to when something works perfectly and then doesn't. So again, I know I'm fighting something inside my body. I'm working on the fighting the um, symptoms, but again, it's not really to me fighting my underlying cause. So I'm gonna keep digging and figure out what else is going on in my body. You know, this is the story with Mm -hmm. all autoimmune diseases. So every autoimmune disease, for some reason, the body is confused and it starts attacking itself. And so people with arthritis, attacks the joints, you're having the same issue. The body is just misfiring and attacking your joints. And we really don't understand what is happening that is causing the body to do this. And this is with uh, lupus, this is MNF, you know, there's a long list of autoimmune diseases. And someday we're gonna have the answer, Jennifer, what is causing this, we will. Um, But in the meantime, I think you have given our listeners a really powerful story. You have taken us through symptoms and the diagnostic journey which seemed endless and and painful, and then dealing on a daily basis with your new life and how you're coping 
with this new life and creating a, a Facebook account where you can talk to people and advise them. So now, in conclusion, Jennifer, what can you say to people who are listening, who are having a rare disease, maybe not the one that you have, but a rare disease, they find themselves alone, people who know there's something that's wrong and they don't have a diagnosis. How can you help us as we close out the program? What advice could you give us? Be your strongest advocate. Believe in yourself. Don't believe the naysayers. Don't believe the people that tell you it's only in your head. Keep fighting. You are going to find your answers. There are going to be people that are going to listen to you. You are not going to be alone. And my mantra that I say is, every day is fabulous. Some days are just more fabulous than others. <laughs> I love oh, that. Oh, Jennifer. Oh. oh, I love that. Because Thank each you. of us will face a challenge in our lives. And so your lesson is something that each of us can take to heart and learn from. And we wish you great luck on your journey. And I hope that you are going to find things that bring you joy, but it will be a different kind of joy. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you for, again, having me part of this podcast. Um, thank you put, for putting a voice to people with MMN, an ultra rare autoimmune disease where um, we felt like no one was listening. And now you're allowing me to share my story, which is truly the story of people all around the world that might not have a voice. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. Thank you very much. Peter Oloritz obtained a PhD in immunology from the University of Ghent in Belgium. After a short postdoc period, he joined Argenics in 2010 as research scientist, where he was involved in the development of various therapeutic antibodies for treatment of cancer and autoimmune diseases. In 2013, he headed the development of Argenics FCRN antagonist, Efertigma, until the first in-human study, after which he transitioned to become the lead scientist of this program. Currently, he holds the position of chief scientific officer and oversees the development of all clinical and preclinical compounds within the Argenics pipeline. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a bit of a different time zone difference. So it's early morning here. It's afternoon over, I think you said in Belgium, right? Yes, correct. Yes. Well, thank you so much for making time to come on It Happened to Me. I thought we could start our conversation by really just having a bit of an overview from you in terms of what scientists have learned about autoimmune diseases, what triggers it, how does it work? I mean, where is the kind of state of what we know about autoimmune diseases right now? And, you know, I'm thinking the answer might be we don't know a ton, but what, what's your insight just on like what we're at right now with autoimmune diseases? Yeah, well, I think the true answer is indeed we've studied a lot, but we don't really know what really is triggering autoimmune diseases. What we do know is that in some cases there is an infectious trigger, a virus infection or a bacterial infection, which is uh, preceding the autoimmune uh, disease. What we do know is that your immune system is getting completely messed up and then your body is reacting to your own uh, proteins and, and your own cells, so to speak. But for a big majority of autoimmune diseases, we don't know what the real trigger is. Yeah, so that's very challenging for people that are dealing with the symptoms from an autoimmune disease because, as you said, we've been doing a lot of research, but we don't necessarily have a lot of answers. 
And learning about autoimmune diseases, IgGs came up. And I remember, you know, back in grad school, like learning about IgGs. Can you refresh my memory? What are IgGs? Do they have a role in immune disease? Like how does this fit together or maybe doesn't fit together? Yeah, so if you read the, the immunology textbooks, you see that IgGs are the good guys and they are the most important immunoglobulin in, in the bloodstream. They fight uh, pathogens, um, they're produced by B cells and, and basically they're also uh, involved in, in uh, uh, immune protection of the fetus because it's the only immunoglobulin which is passing the placenta uh, to protect the, the newborn. But in some cases, uh, these IgGs are also the foe, so to speak. They are attacking uh, uh, parts of your own body. And, and in more than 100 autoimmune diseases, it's known that IgGs are contributing to the signs and symptoms of that disease. So it's really looking at what are the molecules that are being activated to fight something that the body thinks is foreign, but really it's your, it's your own body. So that's where the autoimmune comes in. So this episode, we've been focusing on multifocal motor neuropathy or MMN. So is this mm-hmm. considered an autoimmune disease? Can you give us a little bit of background on, on w- what this is categorized as? It is This is definitely a serious debilitating autoimmune disease. In contrast to what we have been discussing before, it's not driven by IgG autoantibodies, but it is driven by IgM autoantibodies. Principle is the same. These IgM autoantibodies are attacking uh, structures on, on the, the nerve. Uh, and, and as such, uh, uh, these patients are experiencing uh, a lot of weakness just because you inhibit uh, a neuronal transfer or signal transfer. Yeah, and we've heard from a patient advocate earlier in the episode just on her experience with this and just how debilitating and, and painful that it can be. So you mentioned IgM as opposed to IgG, so different immunoglobulin. So did the learnings about the role of IgM specifically in MMN lead to develop potentially new therapies being studied in MMN, other autoimmune diseases, or have you used other things to develop these new therapies? Yeah, correct. At, at Argenix, we are developing uh, innovative treatments uh, for patients with uh, or for orphan diseases uh, where there is still a, a big unmet needs and, and basically we have two molecules in development one targeting these IgMs and another one targeting these IgGs specifically to MMN what we know is that these IgM molecules are attacking the neuron neurons we know from animal experiments that that is uh, if you give these these autoantibodies to these animals they become uh, or they develop symptoms uh, which are very similar to MMN and what we also know is that these IgM molecules are very good at attracting complement molecules and complement is part of uh, also our, our host defense but basically these complement molecules are uh, now attacking the neuron instead of uh, typically bacteria. So we have been developing a, a molecule, Argenix 117, which is inhibiting one specific uh, uh, complement factor, C2. And as such, we think we can bring uh, innovation to these underserved uh, MMN patients. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And next to that, we have a molecule which is now approved in an IgG-mediated autoimmune disease called uh, generalized myasthenia gravis. 
that molecule is inhibiting a crucial salvage receptor for IgGs, basically a receptor which is keeping these IgGs in circulation. And by blocking that receptor, you quickly deplete these IgGs, including the disease-causing IgG autoantibodies. That mechanism holds promise in more than 100 autoimmune diseases because there are uh, uh, more than 100 autoimmune diseases described which are triggered by these IgG autoantibodies. Currently, we're studying uh, 13 different IgG-mediated autoimmune diseases with that molecule, and our intention is to go even to, to 15. Wow, that's incredible, and, and a great thing about also just basic research that, you know, learning so much about IgGs, IgMs, and their role in autoimmune conditions and diseases, that then it allows for, okay, we can develop something that can really help more than one disorder, or it can help a disorder that's very common, as well as an, a rare disease or orphan disorder. So um, yeah, I think that that highlights a great part. And, and I wanted to learn a little bit more about um, our Genex trial uh, I think it's called ARDA, and that's the one for MMN. Am I getting that right? Um, so, yeah, what is correct. the phase of okay? What is the phase of the clinical trial? What's like the purpose of the study? Can you dive in a little bit more in terms of just giving us information about that clinical trial? Correct. And, and clinical trials or stages of clinical trials typically come in in in, in three ways. First, you do a, a healthy volunteer study to demonstrate that your molecule is, is safe and has some uh, pharmacodynamic effect. So is in our case for 117 is uh, inhibiting complements. And now with the ARDA trial, we're in phase two, where we are indeed uh, treating uh, MMN patients. And the objective of that trial is to understand whether the molecule is safe in, in patients, but also if there is a, a sign of efficacy of this uh, mode of action. So basically, it's um, a proof of concept where we try to validate our hypothesis and in the meantime also find the optimal dose and dosing regimens to then go into the third phase which is a, a registrational phase, a pivotal phase, a larger study where we uh, really want to demonstrate that our molecule is giving benefit over control and is of course safe. Yes, yeah, always the goal of, of clinical trials to make sure that it's it's helping with symptoms and also that it's safe. Definitely have to have both of those. So where can people learn more about the study and get access to it? Um, just where to lead people um, in terms of just learning a little bit more about this? I think the best resource is, is the internet, obviously. Um, I think I personally would go and, and look into uh, clinicaltrials.gov and find the ARDA study and there you can also see the participating centers. Definitely. And NoRare also has a link, NoRare.com slash EN-MMN um, for also that information. I'm sure there's a hyperlink there, but we'll include all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on and just sharing about, you know, basic overview of autoimmune conditions. We talked about IgGs, IgM, um, IgM's role in MMN and just the development of everything that Argenix is working on with these clinical trials. It's, it's very exciting to see these developments happening. So thank you so much for being a part of this. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Happened to Me. We encourage you to learn more at ithappentomepod.com. That's ithappentomepod.com. Please use the contact form on our website to submit your guest suggestions, comments, questions, ideas, and feedback for the show. You can also email us directly at ithappentomepod at gmail.com. 
Again, that's it happened to me, pod at gmail.com. We would also really appreciate it if you can leave us a five star rating and review on your podcast app, probably Apple or Spotify. This helps others in the rare disease and medical challenges community find us. It Happened to Me is created and hosted by Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman. Steve Holsenbach is our media engineer and co-producer. Myself, Kier Deneen from DNA Today, is our marketing lead and co-producer. Ashlyn Anokian is our graphic designer. And remember, it happened to me. I'm not alone, and neither are you.